Well, Happy New Year. I know some of y'all are like, it's not the New Year. It is for me. This is my first Sunday back, all right? We, we haven't been here. We were in Colorado um, last week, and I, I'm, I'm sorry to say that we brought the cold back with us. I apologize for all you Northerners who escaped to Florida to get rid of the cold. My bad, all right? <laughs> I mean, like, I'll be honest, I have had, I blame the lack of hair for all of this, but I have been, it has been impossible to like warm up this morning. Like I was almost nauseous. I was shivering so bad this morning trying to warm up. But we are here and we are excited um, to continue our New Year's series. If we haven't gotten to meet, my name's Lucas Ashley. I'm one of the pastors here at the Bridge Church. Um, and, and I'll tell you on behalf of myself and on the rest of our staff and teams, if, 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 you've, if there's some of us that you haven't had, gotten to meet yet and we haven't had the privilege of meeting you, we would love to. Um, so always feel free if you see anyone wearing the little name tags or if you see myself or Pastor Mark down at the front, feel free to always come up, introduce yourself. We love getting to meet people, learn stories, and just see kind of how God is changing lives here in our community. And so um, we always welcome that. But we're excited to continue our series today as we want to kind of just look at the new year. Every, every new year, and I think it's, it's especially true this year, uh, because so many of us had a pretty wretched 2020, right? <laughs> it's a pretty easy one to look at and say, I'm okay if we don't relive that one. Like, we can find some redeeming values, but that's like a diamond in a rough. Let's just move on, right? But here's the thing is, every year we get excited about ending, the new, uh, ending a year and beginning a new year because there's something we want to see improve. We always look at it and say, and the excitement comes from not just seeing the old go, but the hope that something better is coming. The hope that there's something either through our effort or through push and change, something can be better. But if thousands of failed New Year's resolutions has taught us anything, it's that change doesn't come easy. The intention of making a change, the intention of making something better is great. But the outcome, getting there, is a difficult journey. Because if we've learned anything, it's this. Change might start with good intentions, but change only happens through intentional actions. It begins with the good intention, the desire that I want to do something new. Maybe for you it's I want to learn a language this year, a new language. But you know that that's not going to happen by accident, right? Like you're not going to wake up and be bilingual, <laughs> You might have the, the desire that this year we're going to be more organized, right? We're finally going to clean out those boxes that have been closed for the past four moves, and we're not sure if there's something dead or buried in that box. So we're going to organize this year. That ain't happening by accident. You're not going to wake up and it's going to be the end of the year and you're going to have accidentally read through the Bible in a year. No, you're going to get stuck in Leviticus like the rest of us, Okay. No one wakes up tomorrow and accidentally lost 25 pounds. If you do, tell me how. I don't care what it is. We can have the conversation. None of those changes happen accidentally. They're good desires. They're good things to add or to change or alter. But they don't happen by accident. All of that comes from an intentional decision to make a change. And to make a change, to do something new, means we have to leave something old behind. You'll realize that you can't move forward in life using old systems. You can't move into something new. You can't change a pattern without leaving the old pattern behind. It's literally like dragging some dead weight with you all throughout the next year. 
you have to be willing to make the exchange, to trade out what you want to leave behind for what you want to do new. So the question of every year is, what do you want to change? What do you want to be better this year? What do you want to do more with or more about? As believers, especially if we're Christians and we follow Jesus, we know and have a relationship with Jesus, for us, we immediately need to look at what are the things that God's called us to. And so for all of us, maybe the best way that we figure out what we need to improve this year is by answering life's question. Why the heck am I here? (laughs) Why am I here? Why do I have breath? Why do I wake up every day? What is it that God wants in my life? Sometimes learning why we're here helps us understand what we need to change to make sure we're lined up with that. To help us understand that, there's there's a verse from a a guy named Paul. And what I love about Paul, and, and I use him a lot because if you've ever made mistakes in your life, anybody? Okay, good. I was alone first service. Y'all are with me, all right? We've all made some mistakes. We've all tripped up and sinned a few times in our life. If you've ever felt disqualified because of your past, just go read Paul's story. You'll feel better about yourself, I promise. To wonder if God can use you because of what you've done in the past, just go read Paul. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Have you ever tried to destroy the church? (laughs) Have you ever been at the forefront of people dying because they said the name Jesus? No? Good. (laughs) But that means Paul's got one on you because that was his story. His desire was to end the name of Jesus, to bring an end to the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ at any cost until he met Jesus. And then he experienced this incredible transformation that any of us would be lucky to even experience a a hair of. And then through that time, he ends up writing three-fourths of what we call the New Testament, which are letters that he wrote to churches, sometimes correcting them, but a lot of times just encouraging them. And in one of his letters to a church in a place called Ephesus, he says this. In Ephesians verse 2, chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For we are God's what? masterpiece. I love that. You can just park there for a minute. Some translations say workmanship, but if you do the study in the root, you get back to this idea of masterpiece, like an artist masterpiece. What I love about that is though, although we are uniquely us, we are each beautifully a masterpiece. Like this is an incredible thing to think about. Like you should get excited about this. Like that means you're not like the discarded for sale item. Okay. You're not the thing that's half broken that's put on the for sale shelf and hopefully someone buys it for a dollar. Like, that's not you. It says that you are God's masterpiece, which means you are first his and you are beautifully made by him and for him. From the beginning of creation, when God took dust from the earth, shaped it into man and then breathed his own holy breath into it to create Adam, each and every one of us have been made as a beautiful masterpiece by God for we are his masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's created us in a new life that through Jesus, through the knowledge and a relationship with him, the son of God, we can leave the past and step into the new. Now he's done this, why? So that we could do the good things that he planned for us to do long ago. 
Why are we here? You were made to make a difference. It's that simple. You were made to make a difference in this world. You were made to make a difference with every breath that you breathe and every action and step that you take. Even if you don't believe in God, if someone dragged you here or you accidentally walked into the wrong building this morning, whatever reason is you're here or watching, even if you don't have that belief and understanding of God yet, maybe this is the answer as to why everything you do leaves you wanting, leaves you feeling unfulfilled, because there is more than what you're experiencing today, and that more is only found through Jesus, because we are his workmanship made anew in Christ. Why? So that we could do the good things he planned a long time ago for us to do. We were made to make a difference. Now, I understand that to some, this kind of sounds like just a mother's love, right? Like, this almost sounds too good. It almost sounds like that mom who just tells you, oh, baby, you seem like an angel. When you know you seem like a monster. <laughs> it is a joyful noise to one person and one person, maybe two, maybe your mom and maybe God, Okay. Sometimes we think of that and we hear, oh, but we are masterpieces, as if it's just mama telling us we're special. This is not God trying to make you feel better about yourself. This is God trying to bring clarity to why you're alive, to help you remember that you are his, you are beautifully and wonderfully made for a purpose. And that purpose is to make a difference. That's why we're here. God designed us and gave us life to be part of something greater than our own life. God's desire was not to create passive observers. It was to create passionate servers, people who would with passion and devotion look and say, there, I can make a difference there. There's someone hurting, I can help them out. There's someone alone, I can help them feel loved. That's the hope of his created works, is that we would understand we are his masterpieces created to do good things, created to make a difference. In fact, before we go any further, I want us to say it out loud. There's something about speaking a truth that makes us receive it a little better. So I'm gonna ask for a little participation. Now, 8.30, mask and all, were loud. It was amazing. So you gotta beat them because you don't have the excuse of the buffer, all right? So if you're with me, you're gonna say it out loud. If you're online, I want you to type it out in the comment section or the chats or whatever. Tweet it, text it, I don't care. But I want you to say it. Repeat this after me. God has created me for great things. So I was made to make a difference. Say it every day, guys. Write it down. Put it on a window. Put it on a note card. Put it on a screensaver. Whatever you need to or want to do to never forget that truth because that's the perspective change you need to finally see fulfillment in your life, to understand why you're here, that you were made to make a difference. God did not put you here accidentally, but intentionally to make a difference in the world around you. Now, that sounds great. <laughs> but the reality is this. Sometimes we just don't know how. <laughs> it's one of those things that sounds great. But then as we sit back and the excitement wears off and we find ourselves asking, huh, how do I do that? It's a mistake we make sometimes because of our enthusiasm. I remember seeing this played out when 
Christine, my wife, and I, we were student pastors for about 14 years. And that's why I'm bald. And <laughs> full head of hair and we started. I kid you not. Um, every hair had a student's name on it. Um, but <laughs> one thing that we loved to do was take students on mission trips. And essentially what that was, if you don't know what a mission trip is, is that we would either go somewhere in our community, in our state, or in, our, in the United States, sometimes internationally. And the purpose that we were intentionally going to go somewhere else to make a difference, to go serve people that we had never served before. And one of the places that we loved to go was a children's home in South Texas. And one year that we were there, they had, they had purchased a new home on their property, and they were beginning to renovate it. And so they essentially would give us multiple tasks because we'd take 50, 60, 70 kids down and so we'd split them into groups and, you know, 10 of you here, 10 of you here, 10 of you here. And then we would drive around and make sure everybody was doing their job. So this new house, they just, the big thing, they just needed the yard taken care of. They needed it mowed, weeded, the hedges trimmed, everything done. So I got a group of guys and they were so excited about this. Like they got to do men's work, you know? They weren't like sorting clothes or cleaning toilets. No, they got to, they got to cut down stuff, right? They got to get dirty and they were excited. So we set them up with everything they needed, said, all right guys, have fun. We'll be back in about 30, 45 minutes. And if you're done, we'll send you somewhere else. So we go drive around and we come back, we pull up to the house. And I think, huh, doesn't really look like they've done a whole lot here. Like, well, maybe they're, maybe they're working just really, really diligently on the backside. And so I walk around to the backside, and I see them all standing there, right where we left them. And I see them talking, and I'm really upset at first. Like, these are my guys. Like, they were so excited, so passionate. And so I walk over, and I'm ready to, like, lay into them, you know. And I walk, I'm like, what is going on? And they kind of part open, and I see that in the middle of them is the lawnmower. And they look at me, and one of them just finally says, we don't know how to start it. <laughs> it's like, well, gum. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Like, they were so excited because we had given them this mission to do that I never thought about the reality that they may not know how to do it. Sometimes it's not that we don't want to make a difference. It's not that we don't want to do what God's called us to do. It's that we don't know how. We're unsure of what to do and how to do it. We don't know where to start. Because of that, there are things that stand in our way. Sometimes it's fear, it's reservation. Maybe, again, it's just confusion that we don't know what to do. But understanding that gap between our good intentions and actually doing something good is an important thing to look at. To help us bridge that gap, I want to look at a story in the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. And I want to look at this story, and I want to note that, um, you know, oftentimes the disciples were a lot like us. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we read Scripture sometimes, sometimes we're stuck asking ourselves what in the world we just read. <laughs> like, sometimes we read something that Jesus says, and then we're sitting there thinking about it, we're like, I have no idea what that meant. Like, this was the disciples, if we're honest. If we're honest with ourselves, this was the disciples and they looked at the reality. Y'all can sit up front. It's okay. Don't worry about it. You're good. Just find a seat. We're excited y'all are here. And we look at this reality. And that was the disciples. They walked with Jesus every day. They slept where he slept, ate when he ate, saw what he saw. And yet at times they hear him and they sit back and say, I don't know what to do. And they feel a little lost. And this was one of those moments. And in this story, there's some lessons that we can learn. There's five things that I, I learned in this story that I want to show you that I think will help us bridge the gap of knowing that we're called to make a difference and understanding how to actually do so. 
So in Matthew chapter 6, it's a story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. If you've been in church for about 30 seconds, you've probably heard of this before. In verse 30, it begins, it says, The apostles, this is the disciples, the 12 that Jesus chose and called to follow him. It says, They returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all the things they had done and taught. Now, essentially what happens here is as they've been learning and going, at one point, Jesus finally says, all right, you're ready for your first mission. I want you to go out without me, without your safety blanket, and I want you to do these things. So they went, they did, they conquered, and they came back excited to tell dad, right? Like, that's the idea. Like, dad, we can't wait to tell you what we did. As soon as they get back, it says this, verse 31, then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Now, this little part has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but it's important. It's free. You need to understand, rest is required if you want to do your best. Like, if you want to live the best life, if you want to be the best husband, the best wife, the best employee, if you want to be the best follower of Jesus, rest is required. At some point in time, you have to push pause. That's why God rested on the seventh day after creation, to demonstrate, not because he was tired, but to demonstrate the importance of pushing pause and resting. You have permission from God to sit down today, okay? To stop, to breathe, to finish the Christmas decorations later, and to rest. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by a boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Verse 34, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped off the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and so he began to teach them many things. 35. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. As we look at this story, again, there's, there's five things I want to show you. The first is this. As we begin to ask the question of, okay, this whole idea of making a difference, serving, helping people out sounds great, but how? Where do I begin? The first lesson we see in this story is this. You start by serving where you are. Just start where you are. Look at where God has put you in your life today. Look at your home, your work, your community, your church, your family, and ask the question, okay, God, I'm here. What can I do? That's what I love about this first part of the story. They had just traveled to go find things to do. But then now, at this moment, Jesus just essentially says, look, it's right here. Like, we don't have to go anywhere for this. This is right here. See, oftentimes we can get in our head about trying to find the right place at the right time to make the right difference. But sometimes it's just about understanding the simple truth that it's not about looking for the right location. It's about looking with the right intention. It's about walking through life with the intention of how can I make a difference here today? See, sometimes we lose sight of this. Sometimes we get so caught up in our own schedule, our own busyness, our own desires, that we lose sight that where we are might be exactly where God wants us to make a difference that day. I experience this as a father often. I love getting to teach my kids things, and I love getting to show them how to do things, because I think of those boys who didn't know how to mow a yard, 
and think, I want my kids to know how to do things. I want to pass on knowledge that my dad, my grandparents passed on to me. But there are some days that I am busy and that I am crazy and hectic and that I lose sight of that desire. One of those days I was mowing the yard. Now I'm one of those odd people that I like mowing my yard. Now before you get excited, I said my yard. Not your yard, my yard. (laughs) I like mowing my yard. It's probably because it's a few minutes alone. I'm a little OCD, so I get to do it exactly how I want it without anyone telling me how to do it differently. But I was in a hurry one day trying to hurry and get it done. I think there was a storm coming in or something because it's Florida. You never know. And then all of a sudden, my son walks outside. He's like, Dad, can I help? Now, normally, I'm, all right, let's do this. I understand that teaching people things makes those things take longer. I'm okay with that. But that day, I was not okay with it. And selfishly, I wanted to say, no, no, later, just let me finish this. But something in me Maybe it was Christine watching, I don't know, just said, no, I, I need, this is a moment. And so I let him come out and he helps me mow the yard. And I'll admit that, you know, it was like, okay, it was a good dad deed for the day. But I, I, I missed the bigger picture of it until later. See, later that night, I was scrolling through social media and I saw Christine had posted these pictures. And when I saw the pictures, they'll pop up here in a second. When I saw the pictures, I just first thought like, oh, that's sweet. She took pictures of us mowing the yard. Um, but then I thought more about it later. And again, I thought back to those kids that didn't know how to mow a yard. And I thought, man, what I almost mistook for a burden that day, because it was gonna take longer, which again, I'm normally okay with, but it just, I was in a hurry that day. When I saw those pictures, I realized that was never a burden. That was a blessing. <laughs> Like that was an opportunity for a blessing, not just for him, for me. Because what that was, was it was an invitation to be a part of his life. And by me saying yes, I allowed him to be a part of something he was watching happen. That's part of what I love about this story here with the disciples. And we'll see in a minute, when Jesus asked them to go find food for people, he didn't have to. Like, he's Jesus. He rose from death. I think he could have found food. He didn't have to have the disciples' help. He could have snapped his fingers and an entire buffet pops up. But he looks at them, as we see in a minute, and says, you feed them. This is important because this is an invitation from God. Not to sit back and watch, but to step in and be a part of it to be a part of something greater than they were on their own, to be a part of making a difference, which is what we were called to do. It was an invitation to be a part of a blessing, not a burden. It's the beauty of God is he doesn't look for our service. He looks for our partnership. He wants to walk with us through life to help take part in the miracles that he's doing. What opportunity have you been mistaking for a burden this year? What location, what place have you been walking past? The second thing we see is this. We don't just serve where we are, but as we said in verse 37, 36, they they ask, they say, Jesus, just send the crowds away so they can get food. But in verse 37, the most profound thing he says in this whole moment, he says, no, (laughs) you feed them. I'm not gonna send them away. I want you to feed them. We start serving by serving where we are, 
And we start serving by serving whoever's closest to us. We serve those who are near to us. We don't have to go far to find people in need of help. But just like the opportunities in our location, sometimes we just miss the people because, again, we just don't have the right perspective. It's not about looking for the right person to serve. It's about looking at people with the right perspective because sometimes we don't. Sometimes we look at what's going on around us through the lens of what we're personally experiencing. So what that means is that if we're not in need of help that day, no one else is. <laughs> like, you know it's true. You walk through life sometimes, and it's like, I have a great time today. Everything is going well. So in your mind, everything must be going well for everybody else too. It's not a mean thing. It's just you miss it. It's just the wrong perspective. Sometimes you look at people in need of help, and the reason you don't step in and offer is because you, you're afraid that they might what? Say no. You ever had that happen? You ever gotten to extend your help and the person says no? I've had this happen before. You see someone broke down on the side of the road, you pull over, hey, can I help? No. I assume it's because the bald, the beard, something in that whole mix just is like people are like, eh, I don't know. But if I'm not alone, I feel a little better. But we've all had that. And so sometimes when we see someone in trouble, we see someone struggling, we just immediately assume, I, I, I mean, I can go over there and offer, but they're probably not gonna say yes. And if we're real honest, sometimes the reason that we don't help someone, the reason we miss that opportunity is because we don't wanna help that person. Sometimes we come across a person who because of a hurt they've caused, we don't wanna help. Maybe it was something they caused us, a friend, a family member. But when we see that person struggling, we think, Nope, I'm good. Someone else will come. Someone else will take a step. Someone else will do that. Someone who doesn't have the same issues that I have. But maybe, just maybe, in that specific scenario, because we've all had it. Maybe, just maybe, the fact that that person seems so hard to help is the exact reason you need to help. Maybe, just maybe, you extending that hand to that person even if they say, no thanks, I'm good, maybe just the offer was what they needed to feel a little bit of love that day. Maybe just maybe you being the bigger person and extending the hand of help to that person who's hurt you or someone you love. That person who you think would never help me, so why would I help them? Maybe just maybe you extending that hand would lead to the help, hope, and reconciliation that that relationship needs. Maybe just maybe that would take place. It's easy to find excuses when it comes to uncomfortable things. I mean, just think about it. We could go all day long about the excuses we have to not go to the gym, to not eat healthy, to not save instead of spend. Things that make us uncomfortable, it's easy to find excuses about. But if we can get to this place where we begin to shift our perspective, we begin to leave that old method behind and step into a new one, and we begin to see every opportunity as a blessing instead of a burden on our day, our time, or our wallet, the excuses will melt away. Because when you step into that opportunity to make a difference, you're stepping into your purpose. And when you begin to walk in purpose, fulfillment is what comes up. Starts with serving where you are. It starts with serving who's near you. And then this is what I love the most. This is my favorite part of this passage. 
Verse 37, as they're trying to send the crowds away, Jesus says, you feed them. And then I love the disciples' next comment. They said, with what? Like, I love that. Jesus says, you feed them. And their response is, with what? We don't have anything. And they begin to have that dialogue back and forth. They say, with what, Lord? We, we don't have anything. We would have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Then Jesus says, well, then what do you have? How much do you have? Love it. That's his response in verse 38. Well, how much do you have? Go and find out. He's not asking for a certain amount. He just says, what do you have? What do you have to use to bless someone today? See, I don't think that the disciples lacked compassion. I think they lacked confidence. I don't think that they honestly believed that they had enough to make a difference in anyone's life that day. I don't think it's not that they didn't want to. They just came back from traveling town to town for the same purpose. I think they genuinely confused, looked at each other, and then looked at Jesus and said, with what? We don't have anything. We've been traveling with you. You know what we carry. You know what we have. You know our limitations. Here's the lesson Jesus is trying to teach them. If you want to begin to make a difference, just start with what you have. Just start with what you have. He says, what do you have? How much do you have? You got any bread, Skittles? Fish, what do you got? We can make it go a long ways. Just trust me. This is exactly why Jesus called them to feed the people. Because he needed them to see that they needed him. They, he needed the disciples to realize that while we don't have much, we have Jesus. Because what's about to happen next is they're going to understand that they don't need to be fully equipped. They just need to be fully faithful when the moment arises. They don't need to have everything armed and ready to go. They just need to have enough faith, enough trust that God wants them to do what's in front of them to just take the first step with what they have. What do you have today? I'm sure at some point in time you've feared that you don't have enough to make a difference. I'm sure at some point in time you've looked and thought, man, I would love to give to that person in need, but I barely have enough for my own bills. I would love to go serve at that thing, but my schedule is so full. I just don't know where the time comes from. I'd love to be a part of a team, but I don't have anything to offer. I can't sing. I don't speak well. I don't really know what to do. I'm not a leader. That's not my personality. To that note, because personality is so big right now, it's not about your personality. It's about your purpose. Your purpose is to make a difference, which means God will use whatever personality he gave you to make a difference. He'll use whatever you have in your pockets to make a difference. He'll use whatever talents you have, even though you don't see them as talents, to make a difference. What do you have? Just start with that. 
Even, and this goes beyond serving. This goes to even our relationship with God. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't even have to know how many books or letters are in the Bible. You don't even have to know that they're letters and not books. You don't have to know. Even when it comes to a relationship with him, the creator, the one who made you a masterpiece, what you have is enough to start with. What you have is enough. Why? Because you have him. That's the last lesson. See, what you have today is enough in God's hands. It's not enough on your own. Let's get that real right now. God will give you more than you can handle. You've probably heard that before. Jesus won't give you more than you can handle. Yes, he will. We are flawed people. We cannot do it without him. That's why he says, you feed them. And they say, with what? Because he needs them to see that while what you have is enough to get started, I'll do the rest. I just need the faithful step. I'll bring everything else we need. I just need you to say, yes, I'll take care of it. I don't just call the equipped. I equipped those I call. Just come on with me. Step into the relationship and I'll give you the forgiveness. I'll give you the purity. I'll give you the passion. Step up to serve and make a difference. Give that last bit you have in your wallet and I promise I'll take care of the bill. I promise I'll help you find time where you didn't think there was time. I'll show you talents you didn't realize you have. What you have today is enough in God's hands. This is not some feel-good modern-day mantra. This is the reality of a faithful relationship lived with God. What you have is enough if you give it to him. I love as the story finishes. It says the disciples went out and they found. What'd they find, y'all remember? Five loaves of bread and two fish. I'm not talking like a whale. Like they didn't just find like a sperm whale washed up on shore, okay? Like two little fish. They gave it to Jesus. And even Jesus, as powerful as he, as he is, what did he do? It says that he lifts it up to, the, to God, blesses it, and then begins to disperse it. They set people in groups of 50 to 100. Clearly, they were not dealing with social distancing. They had it figured out. Handed it to people of 50 to groups of 100, and it just kept going, and it kept going, and it kept going. And what I love is this, is at the end of the story, it tells us, Everyone ate till they were full, and they had 12 baskets left. Not that it matters, but it was more than even 5,000. It says it was 5,000 men and their families. Let's just do basic, simple math, and it's three people families. Talk about 15,000 people that day. Five loaves of bread, two fish. This is not a child's tale. This is history of God's miracles that God can take what little you have and do greater things with it than you could do alone. He just says, what do you have? What do you have to be used? What do you have to step into this life with? Hear me on this, church. If all you can do is hold the door open for someone, that's enough to make a difference. If all you think you have to give is to stand in a parking lot and wave as people drive on campus, it's enough to make a difference. 
Maybe you don't just make a joyful noise like I do. Maybe you can actually sing. That's enough to make a difference. Maybe you can't give $1,000 every week and you can give 10 cents. It's enough to make a difference. What you have is enough if it's given to God faithfully. He never asked them for a certain amount. He just says, give me what you have. Go see and bring it here. Our hope is that you will know God so that you can find freedom through him, so that you can discover the purpose of why you are here, so that you can make a difference. Because that's the fulfillment of our life. That's the purpose, the plan as to why God has given us breath today. He does not call people to sit on the sidelines and watch great things happen. He calls us to be a part of making great things happen. When we faithfully give him what we have, Because our work is worship. When we do good things in the name of Jesus, when we give him what we have to offer, it's worship. Even if you don't get the God thing, even if you're not quite there yet, start. Just start where you are. Start not just physically, start where you are spiritually. Just start trying to make a difference today and see what God reveals to you through that. See the fulfillment that you begin to experience. See the purpose, the joy that begins to come out as you selflessly give. God is worshiped through our good works. I never saw this more accurate than the first church we served at. Small little church we got, there's like 83 people at the church. And part of what we did was we, as, we, as volunteers, we would clean the church on the weekends to get ready for Sunday. And we would do it in groups. And so you'd sign up, and then as the staff, we would pair the groups, and then they would take a Saturday and clean the church. So every once in a while, I would take some of the students, and we'd clean the church. And, and oftentimes, we got paired with this one, this one sweet older lady. And all she did was the kitchen. That's all she did. And she took her time. And I'll admit, being a young, dumb Guy, I used to get so frustrated sometimes because I had to wait for her to lock up. And for me, it was how fast can we get in and out? It is a race every single Saturday to break our record from before. Then I'd go to check on her, and there she is, just wiping down the counters, every handle. I used to get so frustrated. I finally went to our, our, my, my pastor and said, Pastor Bob, I said, can we, like, <laughs> can we trade this out? Like, can we help her? Like, what can we do to speed her up a little bit? He said, you don't need to do that. He said, do you know her story? Said, no. He said, she, she was, her and her husband were one of the first five families that planted this church. He said, the reason she cleans that kitchen so well is because her husband paid for and built that kitchen. He said, for her, she's not fulfilling a duty. For her, it's not about a time constraint. For her, it was worship. For her, every stroke of the rag, every bit of that surface that she wiped off and cleaned was worship because it's what she could do. Her days of being on the floor with kids, her days of doing yard work were done, but what she could do was enough to worship God. It was enough to be a blessing to people and to receive a blessing in return because her work was worship. 
Church, God is worshiped through your good works. So maybe that's the change you make this year. Maybe that's the step you take is to look and say, okay, I've, I've had the excuses long enough. I've, I've bartered, I've argued. This year, my change is I'm gonna make a difference. I'm gonna step into a dream team. I wanna make a difference on our campus. I wanna step into a, a ministry in our area. I wanna make a difference in our community. I'm gonna help my neighbors. I'm gonna help those at the workplace. I'm gonna make a difference everywhere that I can. Why? Because that's why I was made. But for some of you tonight, this morning, it doesn't click yet because you don't know the one that made you. It's hard to fully understand and grasp why we were made unless we know the one who made us. And it's very simple. It's, we call it salvation. It's, it's surrendering our life to Jesus. We do that by admitting that we've sinned and that we need him and believing that he is who he says he is, that Jesus is the son of God, born miraculously only to die a death he didn't deserve on a cross so that he could raise from the dead three days later because we can't pay the price of the sins we've made. That if we would believe that and confess that we believe that, that we'd be saved. So if you've never taken that step, that's how we want to end the service today. If you're watching online, I want you to be a part of this. If you're in the room with us, I want you to be a part of this. And we're going to do a little different. Usually we have people pray out loud, but I want to give you space to be in your heart alone. I'm still going to ask that we all bow, close our eyes, bow our heads. But if you've never taken that step, I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm not talking about being baptized. I'm talking about that intentional decision to say yes to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've never taken that step, maybe that's where you begin anew today, is by actually stepping into a new life with Jesus. So whether you're online watching or you're in the room, if that's you, in your own heart, for you and God, I want you to pray this with me. Say, God, I know I have sinned. God, I know I need your help. Forgive me for my sins. I turn away from them. I believe in you. I trust in you. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. And help me to make a difference in my life. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us today. And if our ministry has been a source of encouragement for you, let me encourage you to do two things. Number one, share it with a friend who needs hope. That would make a big difference in their life. Secondly, share it with us. We would love to hear your story. You can send us an email at amen at bridgechurchfl.com. And finally, if you'd like to partner with us financially as we bring hope both locally and around the world, you can do that directly through our website, bridgechurchfl.com forward slash give. And thank you for letting us be a part of your spiritual journey.